how many were with with a show of hands? How many were with us last week? Oh, praise God, most of you. Amen. Well, we'll uh, we just had a bit of an introduction last week. Um, talked about a few things, and um, and tonight we're going to get into the meat of chapter one. So we're in the book of Revelations. Uh, Nobody caught me. Nobody, nobody called me out on that one. You didn't want to correct from. <laughs> I like that. Remember, it's the Book of Revelation, singular, not Revelations. Um, and uh, and some of you, your top of your Bibles may say it's the Revelation of Saint John Divine. That's wrong. Because verse 1 tells us it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? It's not the revelation of John. We know who John is. Um, but this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise God. And, um, and we see here that says God gave it to him. All right? Now that's pretty interesting when it says God gave it to him. Because we know that Jesus is deity. He is God. But we know also that when the Lord was on the earth, amen, his disciples, they asked him, um, you know, Lord, is now the time that you will restore your kingdom? And he says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, but it is not even for the Son, but that is knowledge is for the Father only. Um, so it's kind of wild how the Lord, even though he was on planet Earth and he was walking with his disciples, at that time there, there were things that God the Father gave to him when he went up into glory. Amen. And so it's the fact that the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Why? To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So the revelation is the word apocalypse, and we sometimes think of the word apocalypse as a bad word, like, oh, doom and gloom, but it actually just means to unveil. Um, you know, if you had a statue that you were revealing to the community, what, you'd put a drape over it, wouldn't you? And then at the right time, at the apocalypso, I feel like saying calypso, at the right time, they would pull that veil off the statue and they would reveal it, all right? Well, that's what this means here. And what is he unveiling? Well, not only is it the fact that we're getting a picture of who Jesus Christ is in glory, but he's also going to unveil things which must shortly come to pass. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to come in a little bit of time, like they're just around the corner. That word there actually means speedily. It's, uh, the actual Greek word there is uh, takos, where we actually get the word tachometer from. Or a, 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 is that what it's called, a tachometer? It measures RPMs in a car. So 
that, so what he's basically saying is, is things are revving up. The RPMs are increasing. You know, the revolutions per minute, it's like, vroom, vroom, vroom. get ready, man. Vroom. Things are taking off. You ever been to the top field, you know, dragster races and you hear those, those funny cars, man, and they're revving up, getting ready to go down that line, man. That's power. And there's a lot of RPM that's being generated there. Well, that's what's happening. You know, these things are revving up, all right? And, um, and they will come to pass. You know, when that dragster's on that starting line, nothing's going to keep that thing from getting to the end of the line, amen? It's going to go. The RPMs are there, and it just needs the green light, and boom, it is going. And that's the same thing here. The RPMs are there, and the Lord just needs to hear the word from his father, go, and it's ready. Amen? So, Jesus received the revelation from the father, and he passed it on to his servant John. He sent it and signified it. That word signify, we, we learned last week, it's, you know, the Bible talks to us in signs and signals. All right. Uh, the probably the better way to actually pronounce that is he signified it. All right. He sent it and he signified it because all through this book, the Holy Spirit has given us clues, you know, little symbols and marks is what the word there means. And he gave it to John. And look what John says in verse two. It says he bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And all of the things that we, he had seen or he saw, amen? And we know, reading John's gospel, um, John's gospel, he wrote John's gospel, it says that he, many things he could have put down, but the things that he put down in the gospel of John, he put down so that we may believe on him who God has sent, amen? That's what it tells us there. Um, we know that he wrote the epistles and he gave... A bare record, you know, it says, let's just turn there real quick in 1 John chapter 1, since we're right there. 1 John chapter 1. The epistle of 1 John chapter 1. Verse 1 says, everybody there, that which we was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. In verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you may have fellowship with us. And that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John wrote the epistles to give us assurance that the things that he was talking about was true. And that the fellowship that he had was with, with Jesus and the Father, and he wanted us to have the same fellowship with Jesus and the Father, amen? So John testified in the epistles to give us an assurance that we have fellowship with the Word and with the Father, and that it is truth, amen? John wasn't a liar, praise God. You know, many people in John's ministry in his latter years tried to discredit the Apostle John as a liar. And the Gnostics hated the fact that men declared Jesus as God. They could not stand that. And they constantly tried to, 
discredit John, who made it very clear that Jesus Christ, the man, the God-man from Nazareth, is God. Amen? And that's the best way to test all the religions that are in the world today. You just ask them, what do you say about Jesus? Tell me about Jesus. What do you believe about the Lord Jesus Christ? And eventually you'll whittle them down and you'll get to find out whether or not they believe he's God or not. And uh, then that's where you can really know what you're dealing with. So back to Revelation here, it says, so he bare record. John gave us good records of the testimony of Jesus Christ. All right, so next he says, verse 3, we saw last week that there is a blessing and a cursing in this book. Verse 3 says, Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the times at hand. So blessed are those who read, blessed are those who hear, and blessed are those who keep these words. And in, over in Revelations 22, verse 18 and 19, flip over there with me if you want. These are kind of our intro scriptures. I'll be kind of referring to these throughout the study. But Revelations 22, 18 says, I testify unto every man that hears the words of prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are in this book. And if any man will take away the words of the of the book that is in this prophecy, God will take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. All right? So we have a blessing and we have a cursing. If you add to, don't add to it, don't add to the word, don't take away from the word. Amen? And it's pathetic that these high academia universities who call themselves Christians and are liars sit and have conferences and try to decide what they think Jesus actually said and what he may have not have said. And then they begin to pick away at the words and say, man, we don't think that was probably him. We don't. Who gave them the audacity and the right to think of that? Brother, if we got, we're going to do Q&A at the end of the, end of the service, uh, service tonight, all right? If you got questions, just write them down to remember them, and we'll get back to you. I just, it's because, Clark, I got so much material to get through here tonight. So if he, um, you know, don't take from the Word. Don't add to the Word. So now the second part of the chapter goes into a little salutation, and it says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. So we have right here who the author or the, you know, the, who penned the words of this book. Now, a good way to look at the book of Revelation with John is, you remember how Paul, he would send letters to the churches, and he would say that, this was not my hand that wrote it, but it was Timothy or one of his other helpers would actually pen the words that Paul was speaking. Amen. Well, it's kind of like that with John. John was just pinning the words that Jesus showed him or that some of the other characters in this book were revealing to him and he would pin it down. Amen. He wasn't actually writing these things as if he was teaching or trying to show uh, you know, something like Paul, totally different, all right? This, and we'll see because 
If you was to ask yourself how many epistles or letters to the churches are there, and you counted up all the letters in the New Testament, you would come up with 21. But actually, there's 28, because chapters 2 and 3 are also letters to various churches, and those are written by Jesus. Those are dictated by Jesus, letters to seven churches, where Jesus is actually the one doing the speaking. Amen? So, so John is the, uh, is the one that uh, put this down, and, you know, he repeats its name several, several times, and we're probably, it's the Apostle John, and we're looking at, it's pretty solid. Most of your Bible uh, commentaries and stuff will put this book at around 96 AD, give or take. Um, so almost, you know, all the way up into almost 100 AD. So the church had been going strong for about, I don't know, almost 60-something years. John was very old, and... Um, and we're going to see here in a minute um, that he actually wrote this when he was being persecuted. So, John, he says here, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. All right? Remember last week we talked about the, this book is always dealing with the past, the present and the future. Amen. And so um, we have to be aware of that. Verse five, it says, now Jesus and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests. Now, I love that how we, we talk about there. We kind of have, um, you know, the Trinity there in those first few verses. If you look there in verse four, it says, peace from him, which is, which was, which is to come. That'd be the father. And from the seven spirits which was before his throne, the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. And that gives us titles of Jesus' threefold ministry. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Amen? And he is the prophet, he is the faithful witness, he is the priest who died and was, and was raised again. He took his blood into the holy of holies of heaven and made atonement for us. Amen? And then he also is the prince of the kings of the earth, the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he loved us. And oh, how he washed us. And he also made us kings and priests unto God. Amen. And you need to be aware of these little identifiers that we get in this book. Pay attention to the fact that he made us kings and priests. That's going to be important later on. You might want to underline that in your Bible. So it says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right. Shifting gears. Behold, he comes with clouds and every eye shall see him. And also they which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. So 
we have the whole earth that will see Jesus when he comes. Now, remember, you've heard me teach before, the second coming of Jesus Christ is in two parts. There is a secret coming where he raptures the church and he carries us up into the clouds. Now, whole, all the eyes of the earth will not see him then, right? They won't be able to. But then when he comes from the clouds to earth, it says every eye will see him. Amen. Every eye will see him. And he specifically says, and those that pierced him. And that's a, that's a fulfillment of the words of, of Zechariah. Because the Bible says in Zechariah that those that pierced him will look upon him. They will look upon him whom they've pierced. They will see the scars on Jesus and know that he is the one. Amen. And so there's a division between the Israel, the Jewish people, and all the other tribes, tongues, and kindreds of the earth. But all will see him, and look at this, and they will wail, okay? They will wail. They will cry out. They will be upset. They will be afraid and scared. And we'll see later on in chapter 6 some of the things that they say. Why? Because this is not a good time. <laughs> the second coming, Jesus came offering peace in his first coming. His second coming, he is coming like a judge. All right? He came as a savior. Now he's coming as judge. And verse 8 says, I'm Alpha and Omega the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. There it is again, the Almighty. Verse 9, Now I, John, also, who am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. All right? John said he was there because he was being tried. He, he was in tribulation because of the testimony that he had for Jesus Christ. Um, there, you know, around 96 AD, how many here own what's known as a Haley's Bible Handbook? If you've got a Haley's Bible Handbook, raise your hand. All right, two of you. I would highly recommend, they're really cheap, to go to Amazon. and get, there's a, It's a real small, thick, blue little book called Haley's Bible Handbook. And um, he has got so much good information about church history in the back of that thing. Especially, um, you know, when it comes to the different persecutions and things like that. But the... The Caesar that was in, what's his name? Uh, I'm so bad with names. They, all these Greek and Roman names. I'm a, I want to say uh, Domitian. Is this, uh, Domitian, I think, is his name. Um, Domitian was a terrible, terrible ruler, and he persecuted the church really bad. Um, and it was, there was lots of bad things that happened under his rule. And, um, and so he persecuted John, and, he, and he, he banned him out to Patmos on a deserted island by himself. And, um, and why was he there? He was there because of 
the testimony of Jesus Christ, all right, and for the Word of God. And you know, we're going to find when we're really preaching the Word of God and we're really testifying the things of Jesus Christ, you're going to run into tribulation with the world, amen? You know, I always say, if you're not preaching the truth, if you're not getting, you know, if people are not giving you a hard time, you're probably not preaching hard enough. You're probably just trying to be, you know, buddy-buddy and maybe, you know, watering it down a little bit or maybe not saying it at all. But you will find that when you really preach the word in truth and you really give the testimony of Jesus Christ, you're going to stir up some devils, amen? You're going to make some people mad. But the good news is you're going to save some people as well, amen? Because the word saves. The word saves. And so verse 10 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. So he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What, do you, what is the Lord's day here? If I was to say, what is the Lord's day? What day would you say? What day? Saturday. That's a good day. Yeah, okay. But nobody would say Sunday's the Lord's day. All right, when I go to church, I say, you guys got to go to church, man. You gotta, it's the Lord's day. You got to go to church on Sunday. But that's not what he's talking about here, because they didn't even call it the Lord's Day in 96 AD. You know, they didn't move, uh, they didn't start calling Sunday service the Lord's Day till, you know, many, many years later, hundreds of years later. You know, we, we call it, we worship on Sunday because the Bible says that Jesus rose on the what day of the week? The first day of the week. Amen? The first day of the week. But later on in history, people tried to change it around where they made Monday the first day and then Sunday would be the last day or the Sabbath day. All right. But that's, you know, that's the, uh, you know, the, the different Caesars and getting together with the church and trying to, you know, replace, you know, Jewish traditions and trying to replace them with Christian traditions, which we'll, we'll see later on is, is not a good thing. But, um, but here, he says, the Lord's day. But we don't know if he's actually referring to the Sabbath day here, okay? Perhaps he could be referring to when he says, I was in the spirit on the day of the Lord. All right. In other words, the day that Christ was returning. All right. That's what some, you know, Bible teachers would maybe, you know, lean on that. He's not really talking about the Lord's day that he was in the spirit and the, and the spirit took him advanced in time on the day that the Lord was coming. All right. So. He was in the spirit and he heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And he said, what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia 
and unto Laodicea. So Jesus specifically picks out seven churches in Asia Minor, which today we would call Turkey. Um, and it's interesting, it's kind of a mystery, why would the Lord pick these seven churches? Well, we know Ephesus was a strong capital for, for, for the church, but some of these other churches are a little unknown. Why wouldn't he say Jerusalem? Or why didn't he pick Antioch? Why didn't he pick some of these greater churches around the area? But he specifically chose these seven churches for a reason, all right? Remember we talked about last week, nothing is um, by mistake. Everything has a detailed purpose. So we're going to find out a little bit about why these seven churches have significance more in chapters 2 and 3. But uh, just be aware that there is a reason why these churches were selected and why they were placed in that order. And then verse 12, he says, I turned to see the voice and it spoke with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, your margin note there might have lampstands, which that's actually probably a better word. I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the foot and girt about the chest with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire and his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice was the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shines in strength. So John has a vision or sees the risen Christ. And he lists some identifiers or some features. How many do you think are there? Seven, that's right, there's seven there. Like we said last week, this book is so full of sevens, it'll make your head spin. There's sevens everywhere in this book. So he saw his hair and his head, and it was white like wool, white as snow. And it reminds me of, you know, the magistrates in England, when they hold court, they wear those wigs that are really white, you know, them long white wigs. And I'm not saying that Jesus is wearing a wig here, but what I am saying is his hair is white as wool, and it he, remember, he is coming as judge, amen? He's coming not as Savior, but as judge. And it says his eyes are like fire, you know, fire that penetrates, it sees through. You know, when Jesus was on in his ministry, Sometimes he would just have to look at somebody and they would just melt in the, in, the, in the presence of the Lord when he would look at him. Amen. His eyes were like fire. It says his feet were like brass. This is another symbol of judgment. Brass is a metal that 
holds or retains fire. You know, when they built the temple, they had a brazen altar where they would burn the sacrifices because the brass would hold the fire. Amen. And so the brass, when you see brass being used, it's a symbol of judgment in the Bible. All right. And his feet have come like brass. His feet have come to judge. Paul said in the New Testament, right now in the age of grace, it says, blessed are those whose feet are shed with what? The gospel of peace. Amen. But there will be a time when Jesus's feet will be like brass because he has come to judge. Um, He had a voice like the sound of many waters. Go with me over to Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 24. Ezekiel chapter 1. And where we say verse 24... Say amen when you're there. All right, so this is Ezekiel, and he has a vision in glory, and it says in verse 24, And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of great waters, as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of a host, when they stood and let down their wings. And there was a voice from the firmament, that was over their heads when they stood and had let down their wings. So have you ever tried to talk to somebody next to a a waterfall? Like if you go to Niagara Falls and you stand near those falls and and you got that rushing water, man, it is it is it is it is powerful. It's not only, you know, makes a loud noise, but it, it thunders in the chest. Amen. You know, the voice of Jesus when he speaks now is a thunderous voice. It's a roar like the sound of Niagara going over the cliff. And, you know, I really get upset because you look at a lot of shows and you look at a lot of paintings and they they kind of got Jesus a little wimpy. You know, Jesus isn't wimpy. It's not a little wimpy Jesus, you know. They make Jesus look like, you know, you can just push him over with a power flick. You can't do that to Jesus. Jesus is bad to the bone now, man. I mean, he's a, he's a man's man. He's a dude, all right? He's the dude of dudes. He's tough. And this is what I love about this book right here, this part of the chapter. It shows Jesus who he is, amen? You know, he humbled himself once, but he's coming back, mm. And that's how he really is. He's almighty. And so, you know, I like to see pictures of Jesus like that. And um, he's got a thunderous voice. Now, it says in his hand, he contains seven stars and seven lampstands. Now, the Bible will always tell you, you know, it'll, it'll interpret for us. And we'll see Jesus will do that here in a minute in verse 20. We'll find out what the lampstands and the stars are. 
And, you know, just to prove that Jesus was awesome to look at, his presence was like, whoa. John in 17 says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, fear not, for I am first and the last. All right. I'm not one that has a lot of encounters with angels or I don't. I haven't seen many visions of angels in my Christian walk. And I know there are people that have. But I know one thing. If I saw something supernatural walk in this room, I would be, I would be on the floor freaking out. Because the supernatural is real, man. All right? And sometimes I think... And Christianity, we get a little too loose with a, you know, like it just, well, I just saw, so, you know. I'm like, man, if I saw what you just described to me, I still would have my mouth down at my knees. All right. So sometimes I wonder if what people are seeing is really they're seeing it or it's kind of in a vision in their head or is it actually really in this room? Because if Gabriel walked in this room right now through that door, I'd be hitting the floor, okay? And I got a feeling every one of you probably would too, okay? And I'm only saying that because I long for the supernatural, but I don't want pretend. I don't want imagination. I want the real deal, amen? I want the real deal. And when the real deal is there, praise God, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not stiff, I love the supernatural. I just want it real. I long for the real. Because every time in the Bible when I see someone have a supernatural encounter with a supernatural being, they ain't saying one sugar or two. They're on the floor, man. So, Of course, I just got corrected there. I just remembered Abraham. He did cook a meal for those guys. He did say, you know, you want ketchup with that lamb? <laughs> he, did, he, did, he did prepare them a meal. So I'll, I'll retract that, frame, that statement back. But anyway, moving on here. 18. I am he that lives and was dead. All right. So Jesus here says, I was dead, but I'm alive. And behold, I am alive forevermore. He's never going to die again. Amen. And have the keys of Hades and death. All right. Hell and of death. Well, you guys have heard me talk about Hades and the different you know, parts of the underworld. We'll get into a little bit more of that later on. But he has those keys. Amen. It says when it tells us in the, what is it? Ephesians. He went and he took captivity captive. All right. He went down to Hades and he gathered up the saints. Satan don't have control over hell and death anymore. All right. This is important to remember. Satan still is the prince and power of the air. And he still right now has the title deed to the earth. But he doesn't have the keys to death and hell. Jesus has stripped him from that. And when Jesus comes back, then he will possess the earth again. 
And as the church, we're on to understand that, okay? We have to understand that we're on a covert operation. We're underground. We're like the, the 101st dropping down behind enemy lines and we're saving souls. We're taking names for the king in his own territory. Amen? Why? Because we have the keys, we have the authority to the spiritual realm. He is dis, he is he has taken away the things that he had power over in the spiritual realm. He doesn't have the spiritual realm anymore. Okay? We do. We have power over him. We have power over Satan. We're going to see even more. We're going to talk about this that devil, that dragon, that serpent, that no good. We're going to talk about him a little bit more. But let me tell you something. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. And he's not om omnipotent. He doesn't have all power. He doesn't have all, he's not all-knowing. And he can't be everywhere at the same time. He can't. Somebody's coming to church, got a flat tire on their Volkswagen. Oh, man, the devil really, he really got to me today, man. What happened? I got a flat tire, man. The devil's really all over me. Well, that's funny. I mean, the devil's making your Volkswagen break down, and, and the, the devil's over here. This guy's, you know, over here preaching the gospel, and, you know, and he's bringing Muslim uh, riflemen at, at the preacher. I mean, you know, it's like, come on, man, where, where is the devil really? Is he at your Volkswagen, or has he got bigger things to deal with than keeping your Volkswagen from running? Do you know what I'm saying? We have to be a little bit more mature on how we express the languages of our trials, amen? Because the devil can't be in Cincinnati and in Jerusalem at the same time. He can't. So, verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. This is a great verse in 119 because this is like one of the, it's a book that actually gives us a Holy Ghost outline of how to divide the book of Revelation. We divide the book of Revelation the way Jesus divided it. Jesus said, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. All right? The things which thou hast seen is the vision that John had with Jesus. All right? The things which are is in chapters 2 and 3, which are the churches. The churches are now. They're present. And the things hereafter are the things that happen from chapters 4 all the way through to chapter 19. All right? So... If you got your little outline there, you can see we've got that on there for you. You know, the book, if once you divide it out and, you know, kind of put everything in its place, it's really easy to, um, to go along with. It's the book that has the blessing. I don't know why people try to steer away from this book. I said to you last week, this has got to be one of the first books that every new believer reads. It's the only book in the Bible that actually says, blessed are he who reads and hears the words. 
All right, so it's a, there's a blessing that comes on the reader and the hearer. So, you know, we need to not keep this, in, you know, on the shelf. We need to get it out there and get it into people's ears, get it into their hearts, especially new believers. You know, in the Jesus movement, we said last week, this was the book that set the hippies on fire and, and made them go for Jesus. We're not, we, there's no reason to be afraid of this book. The reason why people are afraid of this book is because there is a lot of controversy, all right? But the controversy comes, and we'll just recap a little bit here for a minute. Can you put that picture up there, honey, that I've sent you? The greatest controversy in this book is really based around a couple of things. One, the millennium. When is Jesus actually going to come to earth and reign for a thousand years? So when you're studying the last days, you usually are going to fall into one of three categories. Okay, all millennials think we're in the millennium now. All right. Premillennials believe in an actual physical coming of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning for a thousand years. An amillennialist believes that the church rules and reigns, that there's not going to actually be a physical Jesus. And you heard me say last week, Jesus is coming to reign right here in Claremont County for a thousand years. And for a thousand years, Jesus will be ruling over Claremont County, okay? Because he's going to rule over this actual earth. The new heaven and new earth come later, okay? So there's a lot of controversy there. And a lot of the main denominations believe in the fact that Jesus is reigning now through his church. Well, that idea was started through guys like Augustus and Origen because they didn't want to, the church didn't want to have the, to tell the kings that they're not going to be king very much longer. So they begin to kind of allegorize the scriptures about Jesus coming to reign. And that's what we call an amillennialist. So, and you might come across in your studies this word called preterism. It just holds, preterists hold that the contents of revelation constitutes a prophecy of events that were fulfilled in the first century. So there are a lot of people that feel, that believe that this book has already been fulfilled, so there's no need to study it. They treat it more like a history book instead of a prophecy book. Amen? They're goofy. So, and then we got the post-millennials. I don't really know much about the post-millennials, even though, you know, it's up there on the board there. Um, I'm a premillennialist. I believe in the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. I believe in the Abraham covenant. I believe in the Davidic covenant. I believe that God promised Abraham a land, and he also said there was going to be a king to actually rule on that land. You know, people are always arguing about the West Bank in Jerusalem, and I always say, which West Bank are you arguing about? The one on the Jordan River or the one on the Euphrates River? Because God promised, he promised Israel the West Bank on the Euphrates. So you guys are one river too short, amen? Because they are going to rule all the way from the Mediterranean all the way to the River Euphrates, the Bible tells us. 
So which West Bank are you talking about, brother? So the other thing where people always get a little torn up here is the next fork in the road is the idea of the tribulation. Who's it for? Who's going through it? That kind of a thing. Um, you know, we've got post-trib, which believe that, you know, the church will go through the tribulation and then they will be raptured at the end. We got mid-tribulation, which believe that they'll, it'll, they'll be raptured in the middle of it. And then we got pre-tribulation that believe that they will be raptured before. Now, I tell you, as God's honest truth, the Lord knows my heart. I'm not here to try to, you know, put my views on anybody in this church. I'm here to go to the scriptures and tell you why I believe what I believe. And I'll tell you what other people believe what they believe. All right. But I'll tell you right up front. I'm a pre-tribulation guy. I've got a lot of a lot of scripture and reasons to believe that. The main reason why is because I think the tribulation is set aside for Israel. Why do I believe that? Because of what Daniel says in chapter 9. All right. He promised 70 weeks were appointed to the nation of Israel. And there's only been 69 have been fulfilled. And there's one week left, which is seven years. We'll get into that later on. But there are some people that believe, you know, we'll go kind of in the middle. They're all, the, all these guys are pretty good people. I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical of the post-tribulation people because they tend to kind of fall into the amillennial category of that the church is actually reigning and that Jesus will not actually physically reign. So I'm a little skeptical of, those, of, those, of that camp. Um, but, you know, if you look at the, at the graph there, most of your denominations, Catholic, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Lutheran, um, Church of the Reformed, you know, maybe, you know, maybe some Methodist camps. A lot of your mainstream denominations from the Reform and the Catholic hold an amillennial view. So it's not surprising if you have loved ones that are like, you start talking about the book of Revelation, they're like looking at you like, what are you talking about? All right. The fundamentalists are more of a pre-trib, pre-millennial, Jesus Christ will reign in the earth. Now, the other thing that I want you guys to know about, which we talked about a little bit last week, is this idea of how we interpret the Bible. Uh, Bible colleges come up with a fancy word called hermeneutics which is the branch of knowledge that deals with the interpretation, especially of the Bible or literary text, okay? So you have those that think the Bible is kind of just a picture book. It's telling you it, it, it actually isn't, you know, when he says locust will come out of the pit, that's not really locust. That might be a symbol of something else, okay? But you have a literalist like me. I believe when the Bible says locusts will come out of the pit, Locusts are coming out of the pit. I'm not trying to say they're Apache helicopters or they're an F-16 fighter flying over. I'm not into all that. I'm just, I take the Bible literally. And to me, that is the safest way to study this book. So why do people have problems? Because of the controversies. Why are there controversies? Because of things like this. The, the clash between the two mindsets here, all right? And so what people do is they think, well, you know, I don't want to get into a, a bunch of, you know, controversy, so we'll just not talk about it. We won't, we won't read it. We won't study it in church, which is wrong. 
You know, Jesus commanded us to study this book. He commanded us not to be afraid of it. You don't have to be afraid of it if you just read it. Quit trying to figure out what everything is. Quit trying to figure out where everything goes and just read the book. I said last week to everybody, take the book, go home, read it front to back, 22 chapters, about an hour and a half to two hours, depending on how quick you read. It doesn't take long. And just keep doing that through this whole study and you will be, can become familiar with the different parts of what it's saying. So... It is a book to be read. We're blessed when we, when we read it. So the basic, basic division of this book, the easiest way to divide this um, is how Jesus told us, the things which are, the things which shall be hereafter, and the things um, which you have seen. And so I like to call it a book of seven sevens. Um, a simple way to um, think about it is it contains seven churches, there's seven seals. These are the things. Remember in chapter 1, verse 1, he said, um, showing to his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Some of these are things. Seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven personages or characters, I guess is an e easier way to say that. Um, seven vials. Some of your Bibles may call them bowls. Um, seven dooms. And there are seven new things. All right. So the other thing you need to be aware of when we're studying this is many people are trying to like, well, you know, what the seven seals, are they, are they the same as the trumpets? Are they the same as, you know, the, the bowls? What's, what's going on there? Um, don't do that. If you read the book as a flow, what you will see is, is that Jesus in the throne room, and I'm just you know, summarizing here for the notes. Jesus is going to redeem the earth with the seven-sealed scroll that we'll learn about in chapter 4 and 5. It's a seven-sealed scroll that is the title deed of the earth. In other words, it is the right. When he opens up each seal, something happens. And the seventh seal flows right into the trumpets. And then the seventh trumpet, when that trumpet sounds, that is where the bowls begin. You know, each one flows into the next. Some guys get you all messed up by trying to like layer them, like the, the, the seals here and then the, 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 these come up underneath here and then these come up. Stay away from those maps. Stay away from those charts. Stay away from a lot of those guys on YouTube TV that are YouTube channels that are trying to teach this stuff, man. You know, they'll send you, on a loop, they'll send you on a rabbit trail, all right? The only reason why those guys are on YouTube trying to teach the saints is because they've been kicked out of churches by their pastors, all right? You know, the, God developed the local church for a reason. YouTube is not the local church, okay? Don't get your doctrine from YouTube. Get your doctor from your teachers, your pastors, your evangelists, your prophets, your apostles, the gifts that Jesus Christ gave to the local church, okay? That's how we maintain the doctrine of the apostles. These guys on YouTube, fruit and nut, man, granola bars for Jesus, all right? 
Stay away from them. Now, I'm not saying all of them are like that, because you may find a diamond in the rough, okay? But just stay away from it. It's not worth it. You know, it's just not, man. So, they'll, they'll have you all confused when it comes to this book. It's not a confusing book. Just read the book the way it goes, all right? And so, we'll go through this more. Um, we're kind of running out of time now. But as we go through the book, uh, we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll carry up the flow. But just have your guidelines with your, your, your outline with you and just read the book. Read it from beginning to end and just keep reading it. And we're going to have a good time in this. And that last verse, verse 20 now. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand. Okay, so the mystery, when we see that word mystery, it's like a secret or something that needs to be, you know, what is that? You know, not mystery like Sherlock Holmes, you know, that kind of a mystery. Mystery is more like a secret or like something that's kind of hidden to, but it's going to be revealed, all right? Um, so that mystery of the seven stars in his right hand and the seven lampstands, Jesus tells John and us that the seven stars are angels of the seven churches. All right? Now that word angel many times is translated as a supernatural being. All right? And it could be, you know, each one of the churches have a, a, a protective angel over it. I mean, the Bible's very clear that, you know, we have angels that, you know, go before us to help us do the Lord's work. It wouldn't surprise me if that individual churches had an angel that was, you know, helping them do the things that they need to do for God. Um, that's not hard to believe. Um, you know, but the other thing that angels can also mean is messenger. Um, and once again, that could be a supernatural messenger, or it could be just a natural um, person. It could be, you know, some Bible teachers believe this could be the pastors, you know, or the elders of those churches in Asia. All right. Both work for me. I don't have a hang up on that. I believe both. I believe that our church could have an angel over it that is assigned to us to help us. And we also have messengers you know, in the church. Either or, the stars, that's what they represent. They are the angels in their, in whose hand? Whose hand are they in? They're in the Lord's hand, okay? They're in His hand. He's in control of it, amen? Why is He in control of it? Because the church is the Lord's, amen? amen. God forbid that I start thinking that I need to carry things around in my hand, my hand is way too small to be, you know, in control of what Jesus wants to do with his church. Amen. The church is in his hand. Praise God. Not my hand, not your hand. So he says also the seven candlesticks or lampstands, which you saw are the seven churches. And so that's what he said, huh? You know, we are light bearers. That's what we are. We're, the church is the light. Jesus gave these illustrations to us. He said, 
you know, you're a city on a hill that gives light, all right? A city on a hill, when you're looking, you're trying to navigate the path and you're trying to get the city on a hill that shines bright, it's like it's, you know, that's where we need to go. We're over there. Follow the light, amen? You know, it's interesting that when you think about lamps and stars are both used to guide, amen? If you're in the middle of the dark, trying to get to the outhouse, boy, you want a flashlight, a candle, an oil lamp. You want something to get you to where you need to go in the middle of the night. Amen. It's the same thing with those navigators on the vessels out in the ocean. You know, back in the old days before GPS, they would follow what? The stars. The stars would shine at night and they would give light and they would guide. And you know, that is what we are as a church, amen? It's a beautiful illustration of what we're to be in our community here, in Claremont County, right here. We are a city that's on a hill. We are lamp bearers to give light, to guide the lost humanity that are swimming around out in the dark ocean without a life preserver, waving, trying to figure out where to go and where that light, that searchlight that says, this is the way, amen? This is the way. And that's what Jesus wants us to be in these last days. And that's what this book is all about, is to fire us up, to fan the flame, to get the embers burning again, so that we will be a light that shines, amen? Praise God, hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor. 